we learn through experience most often. And unfortunately, a lot of times, again, we learn through violations. We learn when boundaries are crossed, what doesn't work for us. And we need to work to shift the mindset. Again, my biases, perhaps in psychotherapy, perhaps in meditation, perhaps in journaling, perhaps in conversations with colleagues, but around sort of what are my boundaries? How far am I willing to go? Hello and welcome back to the Career Therapy Podcast, where we explore the hidden side of modern work. My name is Martin McGovern, founder and lead coach at Career Therapy, and today we have an incredibly special episode for you. In this episode, I want to welcome an old friend from my college days, Asia Brodsky, to the podcast. Asia is a clinical social worker, certified alcohol and drug counselor, and certified sex therapist. She has her own therapy practice focused on sexuality and sexual relationships and loves helping people recognize the connection between sexuality, ourselves, and our sense of wholeness. Today we talk about intimacy and boundaries at work, what individuals can do to bring their professionally authentic selves to the office, and how company policies can exacerbate or abate tensions in the workplace. If you like this episode, I hope you'll subscribe and leave a review wherever you're watching or listening. And I hope you'll share this with a friend who might be interested in learning more about these topics too. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Asia. One of the things that I really wanted to kick off our conversation around is the idea of, you know, being a, you know, sexual human in the workplace. I think that there's Mm -hmm a lot going on in the media and in the world um, and a lot of kind of binary conversations around these two things or about, Mm -hmm. about these things. And one of the things that you and I have talked about, you know, before getting on this podcast is, is just how the majority of relationships that occur in the world occur through work. Right. Yes. And so to just put these hard rules um, into the world, I think it creates sort of a a split mind for people where they Mm -hmm. believe one thing sort of rationally, but they feel a whole nother thing emotionally. And with your background, your expertise, I'm just so curious what, you know, what's your thought of the healthy um, approaches to, you know, bringing our full selves to the workplace in these ways? Sure. So absolutely. And, and one of the things I'll, I'll say to your point is, you know, we, we have these pet names for people. We say my work wife, my work husband. Why do we say that? Because we spend so much time with a certain individual at work and we form these really meaningful relationships. And I think so often people get so afraid to recognize that if we're sexual as people, then of course our sexuality is going to come into the workplace. It's just part of the picture. But organizations are so afraid to acknowledge that and recognize that, and they see the sense of the the fear of what if it uh, you know negatively influences productivity and what happens. But when we try to stifle that, we know that things manifest themselves in other ways, and they still come out. And so the things that I think would be valuable for us to just acknowledge is that there's plenty of romantic relationships, sexual relationships, non, you know, uh, platonic relationships that are really companionate, um, but really deep and warm that present to work and they really range on a scale. So there's sexual joking and bantering that people engage in. We've got you know, people cohabitating, people start to date at work. We can also sort of go 
out of bounds and get into affairs, get into watching pornography at work, getting into that kind of stuff. But what I think is really important to address is this is normal. We're, we're sexual beings and this is sort of part of our makeup and what we bring in from what we wear to how we present is an element of our sexuality. Yeah. And it makes sense that, you know, these, these situations would arise in a workplace in which things are kind of strained or difficult or confusing or whatever it might be, because, you know, outside of work, these things are kind of strained and confusing and, and a little overwhelming for people, right? So of yeah. it makes sense that, you know, you take something that's already, you know, shrouded in a lot of mystery or shrouded in a lot of religious upbringing or shrouded in a lot of uh, shame and, and different things like that, right? We listen to Esther Perel, we, we study a lot of this stuff, but um, there's, there's extra layers that get added on when you're put into a workplace, right? And it's, mm -hmm. it's different at different times in life and different at different times in your career. And I'm curious, you know, in, in the work that you do, where do people, where do people typically get tripped up? What are, what are maybe some of the things that are the most confusing for folks as they are trying to navigate this sort of, you know, side of the workplace, because we know most people end up meeting their partners at work, right? You spend a third of your life at work. And now we're kind of all over the place working from home. It's a totally new dynamic. Yes, but, yeah. you know, what are some of the things that you've seen people get most confused about or tripped up on when it comes to this stuff? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I think the messaging is inconsistent. And because organizationally, you know, uh, companies and bosses and management are very afraid of what will happen, um, they really, they don't address it. We do a lot of repression, we do a lot of denying. Um, but, but I think if someone is sort of solid in, this is what they're looking for in their relationships with colleagues within a certain confine, then that's absolutely appropriate. You know, when someone comes up to you and says something like, um, you look really sexy today, depending on who that comes from, that's absolutely tolerable. But when we get into abuses of power, we get into things that we really, that, that go into sexual harassment. That's, you know, discrimination based on gender, based on sex in the workplace. And that becomes something that we really need to take into consideration and really act on. Um, but I think if people sort of, if you stay within the recognition and, and within, the, um, within the parameters of, this is what I'm looking for while I'm at work and, and working with whomever it is that you're um, sharing space with or collegial with, recognizing what they're looking for and meeting, meeting in, a, in a compromise middle, then I think we can absolutely navigate this as it goes. Yeah. And it, it's such an interesting topic because it's been brought so much to the forefront in recent years, right? Um, I was watching a video of Tom Hanks talking about how uh, he's like, yeah, and, and he was talking about how in Hollywood, it's, it's, of course, incredibly terrible. But he was also saying how this spreads through all sorts of different workplaces, all sorts of different, you know, um, industries and things like that. And he was saying how, you know, it wouldn't surprise him if going on to any lot in Hollywood would at some point have a big like sign, here are the morals that we are holding our, uh, the moral values that we're going to hold our, you know, people here too. And you're offset yes. if you don't 
you know, meet up with these morals. And of course, yes. that's such a tricky yeah. space because there's, you know, sex scenes and movies and all sorts of crazy stuff that happens there. But in just sort of the generalized workplace, um, have you heard of any places that are handling it well? Um, I'd, I'd actually maybe like to compare and contrast um, different approaches that workplaces have taken. Um, but I don't know, I'm curious in your, in your conversations and in, in the things that you studied, have you heard of places that are handling it in an appropriate way, in a, in a way that's not extreme, but in a way that's understanding of the reality of the situation? Yeah, so uh, the short answer to the question is no, and I, but I will give a longer answer to that. Uh, the reason it's no is because many organizations are really, they're scared of this stuff. They're scared because it's a big liability. And so we are reactive instead of being proactive. You know, we put in conduct codes and dress codes when there's been a violation, instead of sort of being proactive with this is what the situation is, let's do something about it. I think same with, to pick up on what you're saying with Tom Hanks and sort of the Me Too movement and lots of the conversations that have been happening, when objectionable behavior is part of the culture, people tolerate it more, even if it's not okay. And so I think so many actresses, I remember reading um, a, an op-ed by Salma Hayek after this whole thing, you know, when she was talking about acting in Frida and how challenging that was with Weinstein and everything else. And again, this is the backstory that we don't know, but when you've got someone in a position of power and abusing that power, someone feels like I'm going to lose my job if I don't perform a certain way, if I don't act a certain way if I don't engage in the behavior that someone is asking me to do. And so they don't speak out of fear and out of the need to self-protect and self-preserve a position. Yeah, and it really does um, pervade certain cultures more than others. I know, you know, in, in my own background, being in the advertising industry and um, in the marketing industry, there's a lot of tropes, right? I mean, all you have to do is go back and watch Mad Men and you'll see all the, all the extreme tropes. Um, and a lot of that stuff has, you know, maybe changed or morphed or, or whatever it might be, but it didn't, you know, uh, it, it didn't surprise me. Well, I guess it did surprise me, but it didn't surprise me that there was sort of a culture of drinking around that space and, and drugs and things like that. And it's one of the reasons, one of a few reasons, but one of the reasons that I felt, you know, getting into education was maybe going to be a better move for me. Because people, you know, you, you just compare happy hour in advertising versus a dinner with a bunch of people who work in education. And it's like yeah. 13 bottles of wine versus two glasses. <laughs> so yeah. very, very different, very yeah. different dynamic. And so yeah. um, clearly this like, you know, is very much dependent on different cultures and different workplaces and things like that. Um, well, and I also, yeah. go ahead, Martin. No, no, no Well, going. I was just... I was just gonna say, you know, I think when, when there's an element of looser boundaries and the element of sort of sexual, um, if not violations, then certainly boundary shifts with what is required of someone on the job. Again, you start to internalize it as, okay, this is just sort of something I have to do and deny that perhaps it's kind of objectionable. You know, the fact that in certain jobs, I'm thinking about um, people in the sex industry or people who work at Hooters, you know, where 
your sexual presence is part of the business model. And so you start to be okay with things that maybe aren't that okay for you, but because that's sort of the mentality of the organization or the ethos of a certain place, you accept things that maybe aren't necessarily acceptable in your mind. And I think it's becoming more prevalent and more visible as well as like the rise of uh, influencers and YouTubers and OnlyFans celebrities. Like there's this, you know, what was it? Bad Baby just came out with an OnlyFans on her 18th birthday and it became one of the highest paid things that just happened. And she got famous for being a jerk on Dr. Phil. Like I, the world doesn't really make a lot of sense anymore. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so there's a lot of craziness going on. And, you know, especially in the YouTube space, I think in the past month, there's been tons of, you know, stories coming to light and, um, you know, they're filming everything all the time, right? So yes. it's, they have people signing NDAs just to enter a home. It, it's, there's a whole lot of craziness there. Um, mm -hmm. And of course, you know, I'm not in the YouTube world, so I don't, I don't really have an insight. I'm mm -hmm. watching other mm -hmm. people talk about these things on videos, but the, the big questions here, like you're saying is boundaries, right? Um, a big thing that is hard to know is where are boundaries, not just boundaries within the workplace and, and each workplace's different types of boundaries, but your own boundaries and preferences within that workplace's boundaries, right? So just mm -hmm. because, like you said, Hooters has a dress code that is centered around sexuality, it doesn't mean that each person who's there has the exact same boundary around their own, you know, their own sexuality. And so, um, mm -hmm. especially in these, you know, environments where you've got people who are maybe not in tune with themselves yet, right? Being thrust into an environment that has its own, you know, really kind of clear guidelines of what they, of, of what it thinks. I'm curious, how do you think someone should navigate that, especially probably early in their career, right? I think there's a lot of harassment and a lot of things that happen to folks early on in their career where they don't really even know themselves yet. What, what yeah. are some of the things that people can do to, to understand their own boundaries and bring that, bring themselves into the workplace with their boundaries in hand, right? Because in order for you to even know if a line is being crossed, you have to know where your lines are, right? For sure, for sure. Um, you know, you're making me, you're reminding me of something that someone once said to me, which is the things you learn in your first full-time job are um, something you could never get, you know, from your classes. Someone once said something along those lines to me. And I say that to say, though we learn through experience most often. And unfortunately, a lot of times, again, we learn through violations. We learn when boundaries are crossed, what doesn't work for us. And we need to work to shift the mindset. Again, my bias is perhaps in psychotherapy, perhaps in meditation, perhaps in journaling, perhaps in conversations with colleagues, but around sort of what are my boundaries? How far am I willing to go? You know, I, I know my personality is very social. I, I like to interact with people. Does that sometimes get taken for granted or get taken out of bounds? Yes. Is it on me then to make sure to implement that limit? 
Absolutely, because we model the way people treat us on a daily basis. And if we don't implement the way that we want to be treated, people take it as an opportunity to treat us in ways that we don't. And this is where I want to bring the, the conversation from the intimacy space into the boundary space as a larger conversation. Um, and I think we'll probably go in and out of the two topics, but um, this idea of boundaries, I think is really interesting. Uh, authenticity and boundaries is really interesting in all different aspects of work, right? Because, you know, the really big one that when it's a violation, it can go really bad, really fast is the sexual one. But mm -hmm. it's, it's the, the daily boundaries, right? Boundaries around your time, boundaries around your, um, you know, being able to even work, you know, people popping by your desk and interrupting, right? There's, there's, I don't think a lot of education out there around how to know what your boundaries are and how to set them because especially in the workplace, there's an incredible amount of messaging around work harder, work more, yes. do more, yes. say yes. yes. And even yes. the advice around saying no is like, say no to say yes to more things, yes. right? Say no yes. to this thing so you can do more of these other things. And, yes. yeah. and you know, it's, it's really difficult for people to know what their intimate boundaries are and to actually implement those and and do that in, you know, in a way that they're confident and, and feeling secure about. But one way we can practice that is through the other boundaries that we set on a daily and minute by minute, day by day basis. So mm -hmm. when you think about boundaries and in your practice and working with people, I think there's maybe two questions I'd like to ask. Number one, what are the boundaries we're allowed to set for ourselves? And then number two, you know, in your practice, you know, being a therapist comes with a loud up boundary setting. So what are some of the things that you've done to be able to understand and set your own boundaries? But let's start with that first one. What are the boundaries that we're, I, I know allowed is maybe not the right word, but what are the boundaries that we should know about that we should yeah. maybe think about for ourselves if we're journaling or whatever it is that we're doing around our careers and around our lives? Yeah. Well, you know, I'm thinking sort of from the from the micro to the macro. On the micro level, I think about um, are you someone who likes your breakfast? Are you someone who likes to make sure you eat your however many meals? Are you someone who um, takes their lunches or do you work through your lunches? Are you someone who goes off site again pre-pandemic? Um, are you someone who goes off site or are you someone who stays you know, in whatever facility you're in? Are you someone who uh, treats themselves out to eat? These are all, all of these decisions include elements of boundaries. Are you someone who takes vacation or are you someone who has so many hours accrued that you might as well donate them for a whole year to somebody else, right? So those are, those are the things that just from the smaller scale, but of course, our, our individual selves I brought, are brought into a larger system. So then within your organization, within your department, within your facility, within your region, what are the boundaries that are upheld and, and which ones are maintained? right? Some people work in cultures where, to your point, productivity drives everything. And so you better work. The more you work, the better. And it really sets up, there isn't a sort of healthy, if you ask me, 
uh, sense of space for oneself and it's very organizationally focused and we lose ourselves in that. Um, and, and then we, again, if you ask me, burn everyone because now you're burnt out. You can't really provide to the company the way you want to. But when I think about, you know, I'm, I'm kind of shifting, but when we talk about productivity and we talk about what are the things that make, that bring intimacy and sort of eroticism to work is the fact, is the thing that while work pushes harder for strict, rigid, this is how it has to be, eroticism is much more about letting go and being free. And so we know there's appeal in that. That's part of the allure. You know, um, the late Jack Morin, who wrote The Erotic Mind, talks about the things that are enticing, that sort of charge our erotic spark. And he talks about longing and anticipation as one of them, right? Sort of um, when we have um, when we have distance and separateness, we long for someone, we fantasize about someone. He talks about searching for power, right? We play with dominance and submission. What's the best place to do that but at work, right? The sense of boss, supervisor. I mean, we, there's, there's whole, um, there's whole uh, pornographic um, genres of like workplace, you know, secretary, boss, yada, yada, it goes on. Why? Why is that the allure? Because there is a power dynamic at play, right? We're sort of, another thing he talks about is violating prohibitions. We're certain, you know, there's this tabooness around it. That's what makes it erotic. There's a yearning for they're unavailable to me. And then the last, the fourth that he talks about is overcoming ambivalence, right? Sort of, we can fantasize you really drive me nuts, but I sometimes have these fantasies about you and I kind of like you or I don't. And so we toy with that idea. The other thing is um, Michael Bader wrote a book called Arousal and he's also talked about this in other, in other books. There's another book he wrote on male sexuality, but he talks about sexual ruthlessness and the sense that that's the idea that we can be selfish and not care, and I say that in quotes, I'll explain what I mean, about the other person we're with, if we feel like we don't have to caretake for them, we can actually just be ourselves and be free and sexual with them. And so oftentimes when we think about power, power dynamics at work, we think about supervisors or bosses or people in positions of power as I don't have to care about you, I can fantasize about this relationship and not really be concerned with your feelings. And that's what charges the sort of erotic experience, right? And then, you know, Esther Perel also talks about passions being contradicting and how, like I said, you know, productivity is driven at work, but we also have this wish for to let loose and right. And that's what sort of, that's what we play with. And that's such an interesting thing, right? Because the typical uh, response from companies is to shut it all down, just shut everything down, right? No touching. I, I think there was even some policies that came out um, after, you know, Me Too really caught wind where um, they were saying like, you can't hug, you can't hold hands, you can't even like, you know, there, there are some, you know, rules put down, but, but like you just said, as soon as you start making things a no-no, you're igniting Absolutely. it. You're actually Absolutely. adding fuel to the fire because now Absolutely. you've made it taboo. Now you've made it heightened, right? And that, yes. Yes. that is such an interesting 
side effect. And, and it, it actually plays out in all areas of people's careers, right? You give mm-hmm. someone too much freedom in their job to do whatever they want to do. And they feel yes. like they have no you know, direction and they feel like they don't have any guidance. And then you, you yes. give them too much and they're like, I'm being micromanaged, right? It's yes. kind of like, yes. like the parental dynamic, right? You give your kids yes, everything absolutely. that they need and they're like, I was never given enough struggle. And then the other parent give them what they needed. And they're like, I struggled too much. They're really, it almost feels like there is no winning. And I think a lot of companies probably feel that way. Um, But I mean, there has to be a happy middle way. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on it. Well, well, and and that's exactly what I was going to say. We don't recognize that there is a middle position we can maintain intimacy and boundary. We can have that, right? Like what is sexuality, but an experience of connection and connectedness? What is touching? What is holding? It's a sense of feeling connected, feeling relate, you know, a sense of relatedness to another person. Taking that away is only going to create a sense of deprivation and no better example of that than the pandemic. Because in the pandemic, people realized, okay, so now I'm working from home. Oh, I kind of miss seeing my colleagues. Oh, I kind of miss, you know, you hear about people who go back on site and they, they're craving the sense of, I'm seeing you, I'm seeing your full body. You know, I'm seeing, um, again, I'm thinking about sort of things, things that work. I'm, I'm hearing your heels clack. I'm hearing, right? Like, you are real, you're present, you're no longer, right? We, we yearn for that. And so taking that away in the sense of you can't, it's this very, um, it's a very controlling sort of um, rigid experience that I think is stems in fear. It stems, you know, from a sense of liability and, and really creates more havoc than if we if we find the sense of, we can do this. There's a way to do this. We can navigate this. Yeah, and, and there's two ways to do it. There's you know doing it on an individual level and being able to figure out yourself and your boundaries and how you wanna show up in the workplace. And then there's doing it on an organizational level, maybe even a third way, an interpersonal level, right? And when it comes, let's start with the personal. So every individual has their own way of showing up, right? And everyone has an opinion on how everyone else shows up. <laughs> I, I think yes, that's like, for sure. yeah. So that's why we've had dress codes throughout history, right? Uh, to, to try and, I think they even say, um, you know, in, I, I don't know what cultures, but there's some cultures where like everyone just wears a uniform and everyone of every gender dresses exactly the same to try and minimize mm-hmm. any issues mm-hmm. at work in order to maximize mm-hmm. productivity. Um, Mm -hmm. but that's not the world we live in. We live in a free country. You're allowed to dress how you dress and be how you are. And there's plenty of people out there that will say, do not the, you know, the finger wag comes out, do not do these things. Otherwise, you know, you're encouraging certain behavior. Um, and then the response to that is, well, don't tell me what I can or can't do. How about you control yourself? Right. And there's that Mm -hmm. push and pull and, Clearly, the goal is to, uh, you know, be able to allow people to be themselves. Um, mm-hmm. But we also, you know, there's this weird, this weird thing that I see, which is be authentic. But also, if you're going to say everyone should be truly authentic, then you're going to have a lot of, you know, conflicting people, right? Because people are very mm-hmm. different. And so if this person's 100% authentic, and this person's 100% authentic, there might be a clash, right? Yeah. And so, yeah. Obviously, there's like a 
authentic, a professional authenticity and things like mm -hmm. that. But I'm curious, you know, when it comes to showing up at work in the clothes that you want to wear, or, you know, I, I've heard people in YouTube videos, like, say, wearing red lipstick is creating so many issues. And it's like, okay, wait a second, like, what are what are they actually advocating for? And mm -hmm. I'm kind of curious, you know, as you've been researching this stuff, and, and, and looking into this, what are some of the things that people should know or think about as they're coming up with their professional authenticity? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. I love that question. Um, so the things that are coming to mind are, we should be able to dress and present themselves in ways that feel most comfortable for us. But I couldn't tell you who it was, but someone once said to me, if what you are wearing makes you yourself question whether or not you should be wearing that, then probably you shouldn't be wearing that. But it should come from within. It shouldn't come from an external source, right? When we wear, you know, I think about my dress. I think about, um, you know, heels that I wear. Does that get a certain level of attention? It does. Sometimes that attention comes from a sense of respect and sometimes that attention comes from the opposite in a sense of sort of um, uh, objectification. But I think it's a matter of, right, you know, asking yourself, what is, what kind of, the recognition that yes, this will grab attention and what, how do I feel about that level of attention? If the level that, of attention that I'm getting is not one I want, then we implement a boundary around it. Does that mean you change what you wear? Maybe, I don't know. But, but I think we get into very sticky, blamey territory when we get into, and then she was wearing this and because of that, that, right? We get into sticky territory because we're blaming the victim. And we know that in any one situation, it takes two to tango. So we really need to consider what are both individuals doing that are contributing to the dynamic at play. I like that. Yeah, it takes two to tango for sure. And there's it and it I think there needs to also be an acknowledgement that the way that we present ourselves does change how people see us. I think that that's a really interesting thing. I know back when uh, I'm someone who tends to merge with the environment around me, which is weird because now mm -hmm. I'm just in this office by myself. So I have to figure yeah. out who the hell I am. Um, <laughs> and apparently I'm someone who wears the exact same clothes every day. Um, but I remember when I was in advertising, I was like, I went through a phase. I had, you know, a good buddy that I was doing a lot of work with and he was a very flashy dresser. And so uh, I got this feedback once that like, I tend to be pretty forgettable at events. Like people always remember him, but they don't remember me. Um, and at first I got kind of like, oh no, I got to like do something to become more memorable at these events that we go to and network properly. And so I started dressing more flashy and I would get like blazers that were like, you know, a little bit more extra than I normally would uh -huh, wear. Uh -huh. And uh, I started wearing vests for like a few years. Like there's this vest phase I went through uh, that like I laugh about with my girlfriend and stuff. And, uh -huh. and I noticed that it did change how people interacted with me. Um, and mm -hmm. since then, I've actually gone the other way with it and realized that I actually enjoy being boring and it's kind of fun. Uh, to be forgettable sometimes. And so uh, I've gone the exact opposite way. And I'm just like the most basic clothes in the world, because that's what actually feels good to me. 
But yeah. it, I look back at that time and I look back at the comments that I got and, I, and you know, yeah. I, I won't go too far into some of the comments, but there are, there's a, a noticeable difference and mm-hmm. maybe it was the environment, maybe it was the clothes. I'm not, you know, trying to call anything out, but I do yeah. really agree with you that it's like, it is a lot of different elements. And I think mm-hmm. too often we're trying to come up with simple answers for incredibly complex questions. Yeah. Well, and I also think, absolutely. And I also think, you know, if you're molding yourself, which I think we all do on some level, consciously or not, to what extent is that comfortable for you? It sounds like for you, we cross the threshold of authentic to inauthentic. And that registered and you were like, "Mm, I'm not doing this. I might want. And so, so again, if we look at that middle, The middle is perhaps I'm going to shift what I wear in some ways because I appreciate being seen or noticed on one level, but when it goes too far, the noticeability is actually uncomfortable for me and I'm not, and I'm not interested in doing that, you know, um, go ahead. Absolutely. And, and there's this, you know, something you said earlier, uh, in, in our previous conversation, you said there's a lot of things that start to happen when we don't acknowledge this, when we don't talk about this. And I'm really curious to dive into that idea of like, what are the domino effects and the cascading effects of not, of, of trying to suppress these thoughts, trying to stop these conversations, trying to create workplace policies that just eliminate any, any uh, you know, taboos and things like that what are the sort of cascading effects of that? Yeah, well, I think, you know, on a short-term consequence, you get a sense of frustration, you get people who feel confused, you get people who get disappointed, you get people who sort of isolate because they feel like if I can't interact or if I can't interact the way I wish to interact, then I'm just gonna hold myself up and live like an ostrich. Right, we've seen that kind of a thing. But I think longer term, we really get into problematic situations for organizations. What we get into is um, poor retention of staff. Organizations, you know, so frequently organizations get a, um, a reputation. And all it takes is one non-pleasant experience. People start to talk. Oh, I heard this and this happens there. And that really, that's why I think that matters to companies. They want to know, yes, workplace satisfaction is important to us. But when they don't invest in their cowork- in their staff members and coworkers and, you know, their personnel, people, people suffer. And one of the ways that we enhance personnel and create fulfillment is allowing people to be themselves, allowing people to feel not constrained by the forces at play, um, especially with who one is. And it brings up this, this other piece that you brought up, which is, you know, if we're going to start diving into these topics and start thinking about these things, then we really need to realize that there's going to be, there's going to need to be a dialogue. There's going to need to be a push and pull. And I think that's also a really difficult thing that happens in the workplace because when things happen, people typically 
don't want to talk about it, right? Everyone just kind of runs away and avoids and, you know, people quit jobs and all sorts of things happen. So you've got these people who are trying to figure themselves out, figure themselves out in relationship with this other person. And then this third layer of themselves with the other person with the company now. And what I found so interesting back then and what people actually called out left and right was how the people telling them, the people that were trying to impose these policies were married to people that they met at the company and didn't go through those channels and like had affairs and like all these different things. And so it's almost like someone who is still doing drugs telling you you should stop doing drugs in a way. Um, And and like that dynamic, I think, confuses a lot of people early on in their career. Um, Not to mention that added layer of unwanted stuff, which I know we're not really getting into today, but I just want to acknowledge that everything we're talking about here, we're talking about from the consensual and mm-hmm. um, appropriate, hopefully, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, side of things. So I'm mm-hmm. kind of curious, mm-hmm. you know, as, as we're thinking about the hypocrisy side of things, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the fact that workplaces are trying to ins- implement things that we know don't actually work, mm-hmm. what could someone do if they're in that situation? Um, because so many of my coworkers are married now like that, that I'm yeah. talking about from yeah. that job, so many of them. Um, yes. And it's just funny well, that that was even, go ahead. No, no, please go ahead, finish. It's just funny that that was like the conversation at the time of like, you're not allowed to do these things. And now sure, fast sure. forward 10 years, like that's sure. where everyone is. Not everyone, but a sure. lot of them. Sure, yes. Well, I think, you know, it makes me think of parents. It's it's like this do as I say, you know, not as I do. Um, and the sense of you're figuring it out, but you got to tell mom and dad, right? Like, which is the company, tell HR. Um, And how that's the kids, the kids aren't going to do that, right? The staff isn't going to do that. They're going to try to figure that out on their own. And I think, you know, to your earlier point of what doesn't work, what do we have at work? We have workplace harassment training. We don't have intimacy training. We don't have sort of, um, social interaction training. The only time we may do how to interact with colleagues if there is when there's a restructure or perhaps um, space is changing in its in its design. And so it's, we're all gonna now start sitting together versus in our own offices. So let's talk about sort of how do we interact. But it takes something like that or a experience of boundary violation that leads to, okay, this is how we interact. Perhaps we need to step back a little bit and do some sort of orientation around collegiality, around fellowship. Um, We come to work, we bring our stuff to work. You know, one of the things that I found fascinating is listen to people who at work talk about um, their families people who talk about their partners, people who talk about their children. We're disclosing parts of our sexuality through that in and of itself. Who tends to talk about that stuff? It tends to be, at least at the outset, heterosexually identified individuals, right? It tends to be individuals in more prominent positions. And so whether consciously or not, we're picking up on the cultural elements of of a space what is allowable, what is permissible. 
People who are in more marginalized groups tend to find common, common others and then interact with them, but it tends to be in places outside of work because there's the sense, whether through policy and standard procedure or unspokenly, that perhaps certain things are not as tolerated. It's really interesting. I hadn't thought about that in those terms, right? And, you know, I'm, I'm someone who, you know, as a career coach, I've worked with everyone from every walk of life. So it's been very interesting to see different dynamics play out um, and try to help people through those, through things that I have no experience in, right? Um, and there's, there was a question that was asked recently, which is, you know, I'm trans, what do I do when they see me on Zoom, right? And yeah, I have no answer for that, right? Um, but there are answers out there. And I think that that's, it's, it's really great that like, you know, it's, you, you rewind the clock, right? A lot of these uniforms and stuff were, were created to discourage people from being certain ways in the workplace. And then mm -hmm. we had, you know, jeans on Friday, and then we had, you know, the evolution of workplace outfits. And now we're all working from home. So everyone's in pajamas. What does that mean? Right. Yeah, and yeah, then, right. you know, people display different ways in, in the world. And so trying to see how that fits into the workplace, you know, what happens with these old traditional companies? Do you just wait for them to like change over in leadership? Um, we have these new companies that are much more accepting. We have companies that are, you know, saying everyone should have their pronouns in their work signature, right? That's a huge movement that's happening right now, which is creating, you know, a lot of healthy conversations, but also creating a lot of unhealthy conversations, right? But to your point, it's creating an additional signifier of, of where people are at. And so I'm kind of curious, you know, where do you see things going? Do you see things moving in a good direction? Do you see things I mean, obviously it's moving in every direction, but what are some yeah. of the things that you've been noticing? Yeah, well, I do think, you know, things do change over time, but I believe, you know, when you were asking sort of, do we wait for some of these old school companies to change until these people retire? If we do, I don't know. I, we might be waiting a long time. People are, you know, I don't know, in the pandemic, people are, I don't know, some are retiring, some are working more, but I don't know that that's the solution. You know, I think there's plenty of individuals who operate as this is just the way that it is, but, but I think the work is in introducing things in sort of piecewise, stepwise ways, um, and also sharing how when we stay with old certain policies, we're not only hurting we're not only hurting ourselves, but we're actually hurting the company. There is so much value in the diversification of talent and what someone can bring in. Maybe you don't know what to do when you have a trans identified individuals, but there are so many people out there doing amazing consulting on this work. What if you don't know how to make your practices more affirming? But there's plenty of people out there who have found a way to incorporate this and it's networking, it's finding those voices. How can we actually contribute to a workplace culture that feels validating for who that trans individual is when they're on that Zoom call? So they don't have to be incredibly anxious and apprehensive of what someone's gonna think of me, 
right? Let's look at those organizations that are able to pave the way. Let's partner with them. Let's learn from them. I very much believe that when we don't know how to do something, better to acknowledge it and search for how. Because when we don't admit to our blind spots, we just repeat them. It's the same thing with sexuality. When we don't admit ourselves as sexual beings, it'll come out. It's just going to come out in ways that are more detrimental to the company than you envisioned in the first place. I, there's no better way to say it, right? Like if it isn't addressed, it's going to be coming out in the wrong ways, right? Yeah, and so, yeah. you know, I think that that's the conversation. And I think there's, you know, no big solution, I think, in this podcast. But I think it really breaks down to that personal, interpersonal, and then, you know, incorporated in a way, yes. right? Yes. The personal, interpersonal, and incorporated. And trying to figure out, like, first and foremost, where are you at? And, um and then bringing all those pieces together. So, you know, I'm, I'm curious as you're, as you're really starting to think about, um, let's just say there was like one thing that you could really get companies to do. If you could make, install one change in a company in regards to intimacy and boundaries at work, what would be something that you would want every company to know? That intimacy is what makes us human and it's what makes us happy and if there is something that we can do to make people feel a sense of fulfillment and a sense of belonging it's to embrace that intimacy and recognize that it will come to work and that when we use it and work with it that we've got a better workforce i love it asia thank you so much for joining us today Thank you, Martin. Wonderful having to talking to you and just being here. Absolutely. And if is there anywhere that people can go to find more about what you're working on? Sure. So um, my practice is Speak Chicago Psychotherapy. Um, currently doing a lot of remote work, obviously in the pandemic, but also trying to share my voice virtually while while care remains quite different than what we knew prior to 2020. We appreciate what you do. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode today. I really appreciate your support of what we're building here at Career Therapy as we continue to try and explore the hidden side of modern work and tell some of the stories that maybe don't get enough light shed on them. If you enjoyed what you listened to today, I hope you will leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, subscribe to this wherever you're listening or watching on YouTube, Spotify, etc. And uh, share this with some friends who you know are going through similar experiences and looking to build their career and, and gain some insights along the way. Again, thank you so much for stopping by, and I wish you the best. I'll see you on the next episode.